1: anxiety about imperfection not to be numb or uncaring just simply without anxiety accepting yourself just as you are Disappearance, these behaviors, these life circumstances. One of the most reassuring lines from the Zen tradition was written by Zen Master Dogen. And it goes like this To be in harmony with the oneness of things is to be without anxiety about imperfection. Now I love this teaching because it assumes imperfection. It assumes that these bodies and minds will be reactive, that will grasp and get attached and that we'll be angry at times and fearful, and that we'll even hurt the beings that we love the most out of our fear and our confusion. It assumes imperfection and says, what matters is, how do we relate to that? when we feel deficient and when we're aware of that deficiency there's a real sense of shame and that shame ties us up in knots and it gives rise to the most profound sense of self-aversion and what this means is that for awakening beings of our time people on the spiritual path that paying attention to shame paying attention to self-aversion is a necessary gateway for awakening. It's not something to get rid of. Rather, the way we pay attention to self-aversion is actually the ground Simply without anxiety, accepting yourself just as you are.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Tara Brock, one of our locals, on accepting ourselves just the way we are. Sometimes it's easy on good days and sometimes it's an opportunity on other days. And yet at the end of it all, I think love will win. Despite whatever are the uphill challenges that we find ourselves in, haven't you felt like a particular power, a particular awareness, a particular realization had emerged as a result of that struggle? I know that I have. And even now, as we go through so many changes in the United States of America and so many changes in the world, there is a power that is calling each and every one of us. And what is that? And, you know, we go back and we use words like love and um, inclusion and equality and compassion. And yes. All of those qualities do emerge and they come at their own time. And I have to say that for me, I've been feeling like it is a power of um, not stillness as an absence of sound, but a kind of a stillness that emerges in our personality, which reveals that there has been an absence of a very dominant waste pattern of thinking. And that there is something emerging when we're in tumultuous times. We tend to seek answers. We tend to look for solutions rather than what's broken. And I found a quote today, which I'd never heard before. It was so powerful. I don't even know who actually shared this quote. But the quote stated that America will never be destroyed from the outside if we falter and lose our freedoms it will be because we destroyed ourselves wasn't that powerful i have no idea who wrote that or who said it but i it kind of took me back for a little bit and we always you know recognize in indian culture that sometimes it's not what's happening outside that's sometimes the evil but it's what's going on inside of you that attracts that chaotic energy But let me just read this once again. America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. Hmm. If you haven't gotten a copy of my Inclusion Revolution Together with Love I took the preamble, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the resistance movement, E Pluribus Unum, so many aspects of our founding fathers' ideas and our constitution, and I put them into a meditation, believe it or not, with a hip-hop artist, because I've never been into hip-hop music. I have no idea, and if I'm going to talk about inclusion, I need to put myself in an area that i would never been in before, And that was one area that I had not encountered. And we made beautiful music. But when you hear the meditation on We the People, I spoke that from an area in which, is there a way that this land, this area of land, in which over 350 million people inhabit, bringing their thought vibration into this land, can find a way to all get along? And I think about the Constitution and the body of fundamental principles that it covers and that we are supposed to move according to those principles and ideas. And I do believe that change occurs as a result of time. However, if those changes take us to deeper universal principles, I suspect these are good changes because along the way, people will rise up and will not hurt themselves. Now, I can't say that I know the way that the change will come? Will it come through empathy, compassion, and love? Or will it come through tragedy? For some folks, it feels like a very tragic period in our culture, and for some it feels like a very celebratory time in our culture. Is there a way that we can return to some basic universal fundamental principles that somehow emerge in us what I feel the power that's being called for all of us is an energy of stillness in our personality where we have not been feeding a dominant, wasteful pattern of thinking such as I'm better than you and you're not. My political party is better than you. We know the way. We. It, it hurts my heart still today wondering what's going on. And so if we're feeding thoughts That are no longer based on deep, universal, underline that word, universal principles. We are going to have struggles and these struggles are good. They do help us to get back to a place of power because when we do find we're not happy, I don't feel at peace, when I observe another child of God suffering, it doesn't Feel intrinsically, intuitively accurate. It doesn't feel right. Today gives me great pleasure to welcome our guest. Kim Wally is a law professor at the University of Baltimore, and she's also authored a new book called How to Read the Constitution and Why. Kim is a legal analyst for CBS News and the BBC, and Kim has been a former assistant U.S. attorney and a former associate independent counsel in the Whitewater investigation. Today, we're privileged to welcome King Wally to America Meditating. King, thank you so much for joining us on air today. So touched that you would take the time to join us on air.
2: Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very, very pleased to be here.
0: Were you able to hear some of my thoughts earlier on in the show?
2: Yes, I did listen in particular to the quote that you mentioned more than once that is that if I'm paraphrasing but that if uh, American democracy is going to fail it will not come from the outside it will come from the inside and I think that is an, you know, a great sort of segue to the book and why the book is so important because The structure of of democracy is what holds us up Not sort of fending off outside forces I think that's really a beautiful
0: metaphor For
2: why the book and the Constitution is so important
0: Yes, now let's talk about the book Congratulations Thank you (laughs) How did it feel when you actually wrote your final sentence?
2: (laughs) Well, all of it feels still a little surreal I must say this it's i feel like i was in a moment in history and in time and in my personal life where it was my time to write the book and it sort of kind of came out of me rather than me putting pay, pen to paper in a sort of affirmative way so so it was um it's really been a, a remarkable experience and i feel quite privileged to be one of the people that are bringing voice to the important message that the constitution
0: represents wonderful so what actually initiated in you to really begin to, you know, write this book about the Constitution? Why now? And has this been percolating in you for a long time, or did it get amplified in you within the last few years?
2: Well, I've been teaching law for to law students for about 12 or 13 years, and I've been writing in academic journals about the Constitution, and, and in particular, what we call the separation of powers. That is, you know, how the three branches of government check each other to make sure no one branch gets too much power. And a couple of summers ago, I was reading the New York Times, and there was a statement in the New York Times about the president's pardon power being unlimited. And I said to myself, you know, that's not right. Uh, There there really isn't any power that's unlimited under the Constitution by definition. So I wrote my first op-ed, then that led to more op-eds, some radio hits, then I ended up doing a lot of television and I was under contract to write a very academic book and I found myself speaking to regular people through my computer and that book kind of morphed into this book so it is definitely it was an, it, the impetus was current events and also mm-hmm. you know trying to get a level playing field for dialogue because I also was struck by your comments about black and white thinking and, and, you know, kind of getting into our foxholes in our particular political party or political ideology and not having a common framework uh, for kind of coming together as Americans, as we the people, because it essentially is our government as individuals and it's not any politician's right to to kind of to dictate the dialogue really under the Constitution. And I, I'm trying to figure out a way through this book where we can have some common ground and hold hands as Americans to protect each other and our children and our grandchildren from, you know, from what the framers were worried about, which is a bullying tyrannical government.
0: Yeah, it's so funny that I'm having this conversation with you because I actually carry a little handbook in my bag of the Constitution. Don't you find that interesting?
2: yeah you know I do, and I think that was more common in past decades, perhaps uh, that that was sort of what we all you know Americans kind of had is you know something to remind them of, of what it means to be American and we've moved away from that core civics education, so this is an attempt to to get us back on that track.
0: Yeah, I feel like it was, it's been like it frames you if you tend to be moving pretty much outside of deep core principles or best choices or best ways of viewing, how do I collaborate with someone different than me, or how do I just collaborate in a collective environment? And even though you've got scriptures and books and all these things, in its essence form, it basically is reminding everyone there is a way we can get along, work together if we just listen, make compromises, and respect each other. And each time I go back in it, it's just I always walk away with that feeling but I I get perplexed, Kim. I get confused. Is it just me? Am I totally uneducated here that I don't get it? Because what I'm seeing is something else.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, we talk a lot about American values, um, and you've articulated many of them. I think they're sort of consistent with universal values, what some scholars call natural law, the sense of just – you know, basic framework for living, you know, humility, integrity, honesty, transparency, liberty, a lot of these adjectives that we consider core American values are not expressed anywhere in the Constitution. And I think that surprises some people, but we've adhered to them as people, we've, yeah. we have adhere to them. And as politicians, generally, we, we've elected people to office that adhere at least ostensibly to those values and I think that's the piece that has gone by the wayside recently that's kind of gotten lopped off from the broader political dialogue. And I use an example, you know, if, if we're going to have a you know, a kitchen renovation done in our home, the first thing we might do is ask our friends for recommendations on contractors that they trust. People that Mm. that have that we know, you know, stand up for their work, show up every day, you know, aren't going to walk off the job, are going to be honest, are going to use the kind of materials that that we need to use to to have a solid foundation, and then we would have a contract, right? So the contract, the if the contractor violates that, the piece of paper doesn't get us our money back. You have to enforce it. So what I see, the Constitution is the contract. It's the piece of paper that sets mm. forth the rules for how government exercises our power, you know, on our behalf. But the value system that you're referring to, the American value system, this broader spectrum of things that we hold dear that shores up the contract, that is, you know, the references, the reputation of the contractor, that's the part that just in rapid fire in the last few years is kind of we've, we've let drop. And, it, and yeah. it's not enforceable in the court, right? It's not enforceable unless we as a society and as a community put it back as um, front and center as important
0: to us. Now, wouldn't you say that, especially after this new administration took over a little bit over two and a half years ago, if you recall, right after the inauguration, there was the Women's March. There has been, I don't know how many marches now, but a lot of marches in which it has brought a grand number of people, not only here in Washington, but even nationally. And it also created even a global influence. And I don't know if you did, and maybe I'm missing it because I do live in maybe a a world in which I see things differently. But if you recalled, there were people in leadership, and they never said a word, whether it was the kids for the March for Lives, whether it was Mothers on Demand, whether it was the Women's March, They had shown the power in the people, but they never texted, never tweeted, never said anything. It was never covered by any of their voices in the media. And it kind of made me wonder, even as people, the collective, are we losing power? And have they become so powerful that it doesn't matter anymore, Kim. How many of us stand up and say, it doesn't feel right. I don't know why we can't change these gun laws and policies that I don't know if my kid's going to come home today. And so have you ever yeah. gotten that feeling?
2: Well, I was actually at the Women's March and I it was a life-changing moment just in terms of the positive you know, life energy and the connection mm-hmm. that was there. And yes. I was also struck by... How afterwards the the dialogue around it kind of got critical, even amongst yes. people that were there, even amongst you know people that that believe in the same or or wanted the same outcomes, you know, equality for women, criticizing each other. And um, you know, there's two pieces to it. One is is this black and white mentality, uh, this idea that you know it's my team first, and then it's you know the the sort of be, the, what's good for the country second. So. That I think is just really problematic. If you're always going for your team, regardless of the circumstances, then you miss the nuance and and you miss kind of what's important. The other thing has to do with the structure of our government right now. You know, in the last election, 2018, less than 50% of the American voting populace came out, and the the House still switched from one party to another. Imagine if that were in the 90s, if 90% Mm -hmm. of eligible voters actually voted. I think we really would see change. The problem is there are entrenched obstacles to that. So we can protest, but really how we make a difference is at the voting booth. And we have gerrymandering problems. We have term limit problems. We have corporate money in politics. There are a lot of um, kind of barriers now that are separating our government from individual people's needs. And that's structural. And I've thought a lot about this, and I've obviously wrote and written the book, and I've written some scholarly pieces, and I've come to the conclusion the answer really is vote, 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 vote. That's at the end right. of the day, get together. And in other countries, like in Australia, where it's mandatory, it's a Saturday, it's a holiday, people have barbecues, it's kind of like the Fourth of July, a big celebration amongst the community of, of citizens celebrating the, their core democratic Value, which is really voting That's how we get our voices heard, and in this country There are a lot of barriers to that, it's on a weekday It's difficult to get to work sometimes It's get to, or to get to the polls, it's sometimes People don't understand how to register, how to Bring the right ID, all of these things make it Difficult to, to sort of have that Community moment around the, This beautiful thing that really is American democracy
0: yeah. And I know that there were some Members on the Hill that actually Was presenting that the day For voting be a holiday, but I Think it was declined or it didn't go any further and again it makes you continue to wonder what is happening why wouldn't it be a day off with pay that folks can decide. This is where I would like my country to go. But anyway, you and I can talk about all those mushy stuff later. So you wrote a piece <laughs> in the you wrote a piece in the Hill about how there's an American crisis of compassion and how it feeds a crisis of constitutional literacy. Can you elaborate a little bit more on this?
2: Yeah. So you know, I think people a small government, a limited government, protects all of our individual rights. The framers of the Constitution didn't have a Bill of Rights in the original Constitution. It just said, listen, there's three branches, and no branch gets all the power. Each branch gets checked by the other two powers. And the idea is when that happens, we have a government that can't bully little people. And we're seeing now, kind of back to our value discussion, a lot of sad things happening to certain populations in this country. I mean, the thing that comes to mind, obviously, are the children at the southern border, a sort of Kind of sh- collective shrug about that. Well, that's not that's not necessarily me. That's sad, but that's not really that's not my family, my child, my cousin, my niece. And you know, yeah. it's sad, but I'm going to go on my life. But, but they, they are. But they in, are in a uni- in a bigger level. They are. And and structurally, if one person's rights are ignored, then we are empowering the government. We're giving the po- government more power if certain people's rights get. Ignored, and when that government gets more power, eventually, my point is, uh, in terms of the constitutional literacy, that amount of power will end up in our back door at some point. The, mm-hmm. the president can only be in office for eight years, and then that mantle will pass to the next person and the next person. If that power gets bigger, you know, continues to get, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger, eventually, you might be the person whose rights are marginalized mm-hmm. and are not. Don't matter. So, to protect my rights, I guess to put another way, to protect my own rights, I need to be vigilant about every individual's rights in this country.
0: Because really, the well issue said.
2: is the bullying government against the individual. That's what we need to worry about.
0: Very, very well said. A few weeks ago, I actually saw a Twitter that said um, it sort of revealed the current leadership of our president. That they would. It was like a meme. And it went, you know, Trump 2020, Trump 2024, Trump 30, Trump 40. And it was interesting how whoever's behind the psychological marketing in our country seems to have a handle on how to try to sway people's thinking. And I went, look at what is happening now. They're basically preparing a mental state that things can change in such a way that this person stays in for a long time. And I'm not somebody who believes in a lot of fluff, even though I am a meditator, and I do love Mm -hmm. spirituality, but it's very grounded for me. Uh, It has to be a practical application. And I remembered hearing from uh, somebody who predicts the future, and I was very concerned Mm -hmm. about the prediction, and the prediction was that America would actually see its final president, which was the last one. That things would have changed dramatically. And I wonder if what we're going through, this anxiety, Kim, and this fear and this fight and this vigilant way of saying, no, we can't, we can't make that a reality, is the reason why we're all waking up and, you know, trying to get out of the space that we're in. I think about how would things be different if hot button issues like abortion and gun rights were left solely to voters and legislators, and maybe not the Supreme Court. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because it is moving towards either the real powerful in the elite or the people really have to begin to organize themselves. And as you said earlier, you've got to go out and vote.
2: Well, two pieces to that. One is, you know, you mentioned sort of the meme. I think social media and, and technology has completely changed our relationship with government, and I think we need to be vigilant about educating ourselves with first principles, starting with the language of the Constitution itself. The other thing is, and I'm I'm really glad you brought up kind of the gun rights and abortion, because one point I've been making, which seems to resonate with people on both ends of the spectrum, is, you know, in both instances, the issue is about limited government. I don't want government taking my guns. I don't want government making decisions about what happens to my body. We might have different ethical, spiritual, religious views, personal views on on whether it's okay to have a handgun, you know, on the metro in your sh- in your jacket or whether it's okay to have an abortion, but I think we can probably all agree to to some extent we don't want government to have that kind of massive influence over our individual lives because eventually it could be something as basic as how you raise your kids, um how you educate your kids. None of that is in the constitution. Just like abortion rights aren't in the constitution, but we all assume That government is going to do the right thing in those moments. Now, in the Supreme Court, you know, the court is not elected and it's there for life. If the court decides, like with abortion, that there is a constitutional question looming there and rules as a matter of constitutional law, that's about as set in stone as we get in American law it cannot be changed by Congress. It cannot be changed at the polls. It cannot be changed mm-hmm. except by a constitutional amendment. So to the extent to which we maintain our voting, our self-government at the polls, rather than let things go to the Supreme Court, we are maintaining our own right to govern ourselves. Once those five people out of nine make a decision that the Constitution means X and that can affect our individual rights, it's, that's it, unless we get a new court in another generation to reverse it, or we have a constitutional amendment, that becomes the law of the land, as if the Constitution itself were edited by those five people, and they're not electorally accountable. So again, I know people get cynical, oh, my vote doesn't matter, I'm in a blue state, I'm in a red state it does matter. In big numbers, it, it really, really does. And I think this is a fight that we have yes. to that we have to hold hands together and understand that we are all Americans who want to have our own freedoms. My priorities might be different from your priorities in terms of what freedoms mean, but sure. I don't think a dictatorship is good for anybody.
0: Of course, of course. And we've seen what that has done historically. Now, the media has been under a lot of attack these days. And Journalists do get things wrong sometimes, and I can see that they have upped their game in the last few years. It is sometimes difficult as consumers of information to know what sources and facts are actually reliable, Kim. So what's your perspective on this, and do we really have a free press nowadays?
2: Yeah, so as I mentioned, 24-hour cable news and the Internet and obviously information online that's planted Mm -hmm. and false. We know this from the 2016 attack on the presidential election by the Russians. All of this is very confusing, and my law students ask me this. They say, how do we know and my answer, how do we know what's real and what's not? My answer is twofold. One is, if anyone remembers the series Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox in the 80s where he had his um, his car and he went back many, you know, 20, 30 years. And I say, go back to the to the 1980s and ask yourself, uh, what were the reputable news outlets, both, you know, TV and, and newspaper? And the reason they were reputable wasn't because they would, you know, get fined if they printed something wrong, but because there were a code of ethics of of honest journalism. And some of those still follow that. They do get things wrong, but they try to do the right thing. So that's a place to start is to make sure or try to make sure that you're having uh, an unbiased Sort of outlet that follows those norms, and you can find those norms online. The second thing is to go back to first principles, original documents. So read the Constitution yourself. If Robert Mueller issues a, you know, he issued his report on Russian interference. Read the summary of the report. Read the words. Don't take my word for it or Bill Barr's word for it or a TV commentator's word for it. Read them yourself and draw your own conclusions. And this is what the book attempts to do. I think. With some success, because I know people have read it and I've been teaching for a long time, it tries to to teach people how to ride the bike selves, that is the Constitution. If there's a constitutional question, what can the president do this? Okay, how do I start answering that for myself? Then you can take people's point of view in mind – the pundit says this, pundit says that, but you're drawing your own conclusions using your logical mind and you know hard sources. I think we have to retrain ourselves and our children and our grandchildren with those basic kinds of skills, because the sort of misinformation and distortions with basic facts is just going to continue. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know the technology is there for deepfakes—that is to literally manufacture videos of politicians saying things that aren't aren't real. How do we know if that's really the person or not? And then the that's real person that comes and says, I didn't say it, right? I didn't say that. How do you know which is which? So we have to be our own best teachers.
0: Well, the, even though what you have said is right, and as you were talking, I was thinking I would suggest what you need to do <laughs> is to open up an opportunity where maybe once every two weeks you need to sit down on a video of Zoom or YouTube call and take us through month by month, not only through your book but through the Constitution, because looking at the society today where everything is just five seconds and a swipe up, a swipe left or right, you're finding that people just don't have that kind of a concentration or focus anymore. Haven't you noticed that they're just moving, moving, and, and you don't know what lands, and what tends to land is something very tragic, something that touches emotion, or maybe sometimes inspiring. But what you're talking is a deeper truth, and that requires somebody, I feel, who is genuinely showing up on the planet. And to what extent are we there right now, Kim? I mean, are you hopeful?
2: Well, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, I'm I'm summarizing his statement, the arc of history bends towards justice. People ask me, you know, how will this end? I am quite concerned about the state of our democracy. I think it's a real possibility that it will it will fall into something else in our lifetimes if we're not vigilant. It doesn't execute itself. The Constitution doesn't have a cop that makes sure that our rights and privileges are, are protected. Unless if we don't protect it, it won't. Uh, it won't sustain yeah. itself. Um, but I, I also say, you know, I'm a believer in positive, in loving energy and also in you know, heroes, and I think we have to hold together and hope that we come out of this. I think what for, for democracy really is structurally a dark time, and it's not a Trump thing it, uh, in particular. No, I mean, the Congress no. is also not doing its job, and and we've been building towards this this point for for many decades. On the education point, let me just add: I, I did also do the, an audio book of this book, so people who like to listen. I did the audiobook, and it's something if you downloaded, you could just listen to a chapter a week or a chapter a month um, and just absorb that. And over the course of that book, you would be substantially more educated on your constitutional rights just by listening. I actually recite the key provisions of the Constitution in the book. The other thing is, I mean, I, I do every media outlet I can, access to, to <laughs> speaking to people and this detailed environment, I agree, is so much better. Um, but I also write, I, I'm doing a series for the Hill on legal literacy every week I do a piece that sort of takes another little chunk. So the piece this week will be, I haven't, I'm working on it now, but it will be, you know, when the president does something, can he do it? And people ask, can the president amend the census form with an executive order? And the piece will kind of give a framework. Okay. This is how you think about this question. These are the places in the constitution you go for the answer and try to help people logic their own way through these so that maybe take down some of the fear. And I think with greater understanding comes less anxiety if you just educate yourself and have some sense of control over or just understanding of how the levers of power function. I think that can bring some benefits.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I would love to have a maybe a book signing or a continued conversation about the book, perhaps at the museum, because this is where I even feel that people who might be, wanting to live a more amplified life or a more reflective life, that a part of that inner peace comes from knowing, knowing what to do, knowing how to show up in the world and to have a very good balance of the inner and the outer dimension. So do let us know. If you had to provide three central takeaways from your book to share with our audience, what would that be?
2: Sure. I mean, one is that, just like life is very rarely black and white, there's a lot of gray areas. There are really hard decisions we have to make, and we weigh the pros and the cons. The Constitution is that way. Most of the answers are not in the document. That's number one. Number two is, as a result, when people talk about plain reading and activist judges or living constitutionalists versus originalists, that's a false dichotomy. The Constitution, I say in the book, is like a poem or a piece of scripture. There's ways of construing it, and we bring the courts and justices bring their own value system to that. So that's a fallacy. And I think what it leads to is this sense of fragility. The Constitution, this is number three, is not self-executing. That is, I liken it to, you know, like a bridge over a rushing river. The structure of the bridge, that is the three-part system of government and making sure no politician has too much power, the structure has to be tended to. We might have police officers on the bridge some in red uniforms that are really, you know, pick on the blue cars, some in blue uniforms certain days that pick on the red cars. If you're on team blue, you really hate the red co- uniformed police officers. If you're on team, team red, vice versa. And we can get so worked up on the teams and who's being fair and who's, who's on team blue and who's on team red. Meanwhile, you know, the bridge is 230 years old. You know, the, the current is rushing um, over the, the, the foundation of the bridge, It requires shoring up. It requires tending to. And at some point, the bridge could collapse if we don't pay attention to the bridge. And if that happens, everyone will go down with it. The blue cars, the red cars, the blue cops, uh, the red cops. Everyone Mm -hmm. goes down. And that's the message. We need to focus on shoring up the structure of our government, making sure that the job description is maintained, that no president, no member of Congress, no judge has so much power that they're eating up the other two branches because when that happens, the direct result will be individual rights go by the wayside. And the the framers of the Constitution understood this. We just uh, celebrated the 4th of July, and the revolutionaries, you know, people fought and died for what? For a, a government by the people. They did not want a bigger Executive, they did not want a monarchy So that's something we have to really keep in mind And own for ourselves And live every day That retaining the power in the people Even if it's someone that doesn't agree with you politically Making sure that each of us Have our have our rights That's what ultimately protects all
0: of us Well, well put, well put I can't end the show Without asking you a thought that has emerged You had an opportunity To sit in front of all members of Congress, what would you tell them?
2: Oh, I would tell them it's not, you know, left versus right at this point. It's right versus wrong. And that collaboration is and negotiation is not a bad thing. will save our democracy. And mm-hmm. people need to get the courage in Congress to do the right thing, not the red or blue thing, or
0: so the left or right mm-hmm. thing. And I'm getting more questions. So hope you don't mind. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Emotions block clarity, and even though a lot of us are responding from a place of emotions and feeling that, and our emotions are valid. I'm not saying they're not valid, Kim. I'm saying that you know sometimes I get so frustrated. The fact it's not going fast enough. It's not. But do, do you sense that things are being done? to take a particular part of America towards a very high level of emotions that we actually get distracted from actually what needs to be done? Have you noticed well, that? Well,
2: emotions, yeah, I mean, emotions are how corporations sell sell us a lot of stuff. There's a lot of sort of you know science and theory and thinking behind how to capture people's emotions so we buy the thing in the checkout line we don't really want because it makes us feel a certain way and politicians understand that as well and now with the sort of mega power of big data where our every click and swipe and ping on a cell tower of our telephone goes out into you know the cyber world and politicians and big companies can run algorithms on that and find out detailed information about about what makes each of us tick and then that's how that's the messages that are getting fed into our tv screens on politics and on on marketing i mean that that's a distortion that's a bit of a scam i'm not saying it's you know mean spirited but you know, if we make decisions based on our emotions, they're not necessarily, we know this in our own lives, not necessarily the best decisions at the end of the day. I mean, you don't want to make a decision whether to undergo a life-threatening surgery, you know, on a whim or on a bet. When you make that decision, you get your trusted advisors, your close friends, your family, you interview the doctor, you find out what the side effects right. are, what the recovery period would be. That's the kind of measured, thoughtful, unemotional approach we need to take to our government right now
0: love it thank you so much leave us with a website where we can get more information about you and thank you for your work and for that wonderful book
2: thank you it's been a, a great pleasure to, to be on your show Thanks. and i'm at www.kimwhaley.com w-e-h-l-e and you can follow me on twitter at kim underscore Whaley, w-e-h-l-e
0: so, everyone, we're just having a wonderful heart-to-heart with King Whaley. For more information, do check our, her website and her new book, How to Read the Constitution and Why. Kim Whaley, thank you so very much. Take good care.
2: Same to you. Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. So let's look at our Constitution. Let's look at our lives, folks. There's a lot of opportunity and scope there for us to return to deep fundamental core principles in which we can still be in control of our lives rather than having other people tell us or control our lives. And I know sometimes that feels easy to do, Uh, let them do it, or you give up, or you go, that power is too big, I can't manage it, but Gandhi did it, King did it. Yes, they lost their lives for it, but we were all better all of that and if many of us stood up then it wouldn't that doesn't have to be the result so if we could just begin to stand in our core universal principles then others can also find the courage and the enlightenment to do so and become knowledgeable become informed in ways that can help to inspire the soul to move us forward Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. And there is no way I'm going to end today's show without actually playing one of the tracks on inclusion revolution together with love after my interview with Kim Whaley. So here is E Pluribus Unum. Take care, everyone, and be well. Pluribus Unum is not meant to suggest that power should be consolidated into a single individual but rather that power is innately possessed by every individual which makes up a single collective. In this meditation I gently Allow my thoughts to become aware that each and every thought is a part of a collective community inside myself. When I choose to nurture thoughts of peace and abundance, I generate safety around me, and for others to experience. I'm a part of a collective, and what I think, feel, and do creates a community inside myself and outside of myself. I, the living soul, am a citizen. And through my life, I amplify unity, values, love, and togetherness. I use these pure thoughts to govern my life and to share pure feelings with everyone around me. I am not here to be ruled by any waste thoughts or by anyone rather I'm here to rule my life with virtues and respect I am one out of many and together I you us make up a world of kindness and abundance let me sit in this pure meaning of E Pluribus Unum. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook,